After her painful breakup with Joker, shortly after the battle with the Enchantress, the already unhinged and extremely volatile Harley Quinn finds herself all alone. But with her lover out of the picture and a huge target on her back, Harley locks horns with Gotham City's ruthless crime lord Roman Sionis, who's trying to track down a precious diamond and the audacious pickpocket Cassandra Kane. Now on the hunt for the teen street hustler and the gemstone, Harley crosses paths with singer Dinah Lance, detective Renee Montoya, and a mysterious crossbow-wielding murderess who are also after the girl, as Roman's top assassin Victor Zaz is bent on getting Kane first. Can Harley take down the brutal supervillain known only as the Black Mask? Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 83rd episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing, to keep it brief, Birds of Prey. And with me today to discuss this very first Harley Quinn solo movie or Suicide Squad spin-off, take your pick, is none other than <laughs> Miss Hannah Ringswald. Hey Hannah, how are you doing? Hi, I'm great. <laughs> well, for, first off, thank you so much for, for coming on to the podcast. We're very, very happy to have you with us today. And uh, you know, we are, of course, going to be discussing Birds of Prey from 2020, directed by Kathy Yan, who was at her second feature film here after the comedy drama Dead Pigs, which apparently won her a lot of acclaim at numerous film awards. It was written by Christina Hot. Yeah, I mean, she, you know, just right off the bat, she gets to do this for their second movie. So I think it's congrats to her. Of course, this was written by Christina Hodson. The original score was by Daniel Pemberton, featuring tons of great songs. And this, to put in today's money, this movie cost $101 million to make and made $204 million at the box office. So not a bad turnout, I would say. So, Hannah, I know that you are quite the Harley Quinn fan. So could you give us a little bit of a run on how you were, got, how you were introduced to this character? Character and what are your were your first impressions when you first sat down to watch Birds of Prey? Um, well, I first started really liking the character when I didn't even really know that she was like a comic book character because I was just young when the ba- uh, Batman the Animated Series was out. Uh, so I I watched that all the time when I was younger and I knew who the character was, uh, but I kind of forgot about it until Suicide Squad. Uh, came out and I was like oh my god like that's a cartoon character uh, and then later to find out like oh yeah she's in the comics too and stuff like that um, but yeah I watched Suicide Squad and I loved her in Suicide Squad I think it's kind of like a universal thing that she's kind of the best part about Suicide Squad mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so uh, when I heard about this movie I was super psyched because I mean the only thing that I really wanted like out of Suicide Squad was maybe a, uh, a a Harley Quinn solo movie or a Harley and Joker movie even though I didn't really like Joker in Suicide Squad I thought that if they kind of reworked the character a bit I think I thought it could be really interesting um, but we didn't get that which I'm happy about uh, <laughs> we kind of got the opposite of that uh, but when the kind of casting and kind of plot leaks started coming out. I was like, this movie is going to be insane. And I'm so excited for it because I'm very much down with the like weirder, smaller superhero movies. Um, And then when it released, I was like, this movie's perfect. It's literally right up my alley. So my jam. It's definitely one of my favorite movies like of all time now. Uh, I seen it like 
nine times in theaters i think i was like definitely like one percent of that box office uh <laughs> <laughs> well they definitely have to thank you then for that for sure i reckon <laughs> and yeah i absolutely adore this movie i talk about it all the time i watch it very often it's it's amazing hmm. well i mean i have to i have to agree with you but I have, I have to say this is a very curious one because this film to me felt very much like kind of a cross between Danny Boyle's train spotting meets the Deadpool <laughs> films when it yes. when it came to both style and humor you know not to mention a large part of this film is told by Harley Quinn and it's kind of seen through her eyes with everything that obviously comes with that and it what it made me also think of Deadpool especially is how irreverent and tongue-in-cheek this movie is and how Harley does have that dose of dark comedy and is the way that she, it, she just kind of deals with trauma and I guess that's how, kind of like what Wade Wilson does in uh, when it comes to Deadpool films and mm. if we ever did get a DC Marvel crossover I am sure the two could share copious notes and would end up being great friends by the end of, the, of it all because <laughs> Well, I mean, I'd love, I'd love a Deadpool uh, Harley Quinn crossover, definitely. And I, I do also feel this is very much a female empowerment film, which I think some folks may have taken issue with. Though, though it's, I think at the same time, because here's the thing, there's not one sympathetic or positive male character in this film. And even if we think <laughs> we find one when it comes to Doc, he also ends up selling Harley out. So there's not one decent guy in this. Now, I'm actually curious, you know, from a female perspective, Hannah, did you feel that it was maybe pandering a bit to the whole girl power thing? Or did you, you know, just embrace it for what it was? Because I know, like, Captain Marvel, a lot of folks had problems with Captain Marvel, maybe saying it was too girl power-ish, if you will. I just, I never really kind of understand that argument when it comes to Birds Prey and Captain Marvel in particular, because there might not be, like, any male characters who are like super redeeming or anything mm -hmm. but at the same time it's not like beating you over the head with oh my god like women are better or, like anything like that it's just kind of like hey there's these this group of women who are our protagonists and they're the superheroes in the story um i just i don't understand like and there's one scene in birds of prey where i could see why it could feel a little um i don't know like maybe out of place and just to kind of paint men in a bad light um even though he's bad throughout the whole rest of the film. Cause I've seen some people <laughs> criticize that scene. Some men criticize that scene. It's like, it doesn't feel right. And I'm like, well, you guys are kind of diminishing maybe how this does actually happen in real life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and how women are treated by men in real life. Uh, yeah. I just, I feel like when people, they say that it kind of minimizes like how real the stuff in those movies are portrayed when it does come to men. So yeah, I, I didn't take any issue with it and I <laughs> never really understand the arguments. Oh no, totally. No. Cause I mean, I am also, you know, very proud feminist. I will say this, you know, so I'm all about, you know, power. I, I love my women powerful, if you will. And, and seeing that female empowerment. So I was totally cool with that. This was like, this is an interesting spin on something that has been done in Hollywood throughout the ages of 
women almost being second fiddle to men. And mm -hmm. it's almost, you know, a spin on that. And I appreciate that because in this day and age, you know, that's what you get. And I thought it was, it was definitely an interesting interpretation on Cathy Yan's part as well. So let's look at our characters on the board here, starting with our leading lady, Margot Robbie, of course, reprising her role from Suicide Squad as Harley Quinn. So when it came to this character, Hannah, what did you make of Harley in this and the journey that she ostensibly undergoes in this film? I love that. Like I said before with Suicide Squad, I feel like kind of maybe a lot of people, what their first thought kind of maybe was coming out of that movie was like, we'd like to see more of Harley and Joker. And I like that they kind of flipped it on that, on, uh, flipped that on its head and was like, well, how about we give you a breakup film? Uh, and we don't see Joker in it at all. Uh, and we just see Harley kind of emancipating herself from him, which we all know Harley is like they're in a very abusive relationship uh, and Harley has depended on um, Joker for you know a long time and I love that this movie literally just opens straight away with some like ridiculous animation <laughs> being, like explaining kind of everything from Suicide Squad and saying that they broke up and it starts with like I feel like so many women probably come to this film for kind of comfort in breakups because literally the first whole half of the movie is uh, Harley like eating ice cream and throwing stuff at a picture on the wall just you know going through the regular kind of breakup steps but it's cool to see it from Harley's perspective or like as a superhero going through this or like you know but uh, so yeah I, I love that about it and I I love that the journey of the film is Harley just kind of realizing not even just from like the jokers that her herself she she's like independent enough and strong enough to you know live on her own and I love that well very very well said and you know because of course coming off of the events in Suicide Squad where things seemed hunky-dory between Harley and the Joker this film like you were pointing out of course finds Harley dealing with a recent breakup and her coming into her own and finding her own feet as her own woman and not just an attachment to the Joker which seems she has often been portrayed as and she's of course you know suffering from major traumas between the breakup and previously both as a child and because of the Joker she's had to deal with rejection constantly by the men in her life because we see her father for one and then the, of course the love of her life was the joker you so i suppose you cannot blame her to be to be so gun shy and hateful of men as you know outside of these two major rejections pretty much any man she comes across in her life wants to either take advantage of her or sees her purely as a sex object or reviles her as being crazy or being a monster so I can't blame her for being kind of the way she is when it comes to men, seeing the experience she's had. Granted, she, you know, she's met some of the worst of the worst, but um, it, she, she, I, I can't blame her. And also, I, I had mentioned the, the comparison to Deadpool. At the, at the top of this episode, it seems like she covers up a lot of her grief and trauma with humor. Because mm. while Deadpool has his chimichangas, Harley loves her egg sandwiches. So you kind of <laughs> have that too. And it seems that whenever she opens up to somebody, she ends up getting hurt or betrayed because we see the case with Doc, who she seems to have bonded with, though. I'm not exactly sure how he feels about her. I mean, when it came to that kind of relationship, do you think Doc actually really is really sort of, should we say, cares for Harley or is kind of like this woman has come into my life, so I'm just kind of dealing with it? Um, I don't know. I 
I kind of like that they leave it kind of open-ended in a way where it's like you do kind of go away from the film maybe asking yourself, like, did he actually care about her or was he just kind of letting her live up there and like string, mm-hmm. like string her along some. I think that he probably did care about her and didn't mind her living up there and like being nice to her, but you know, people like money. So <laughs> sadly, this is very true. And, and also I love the fact that, you know, she does care for Cassie in her own way as well. You know, because obviously she's had trouble making friends and this, you know, young girl comes into her life and, I love the the relationship the two of ha- the two of them have as the movie progresses. It seems that finally she seems to have found somebody she can actually befriend, and it was actually interesting, you know, where her and I, I'm actually I was actually curious to see where her and Cassie would go from here, and also how long that friendship will last. But it's a it's, <laughs> it's an interesting one. It's actually speaking of which, let's take a closer look at Cassie Kane, who could somewhat be considered the MacGuffin in this film. Played, of course, by Ella J. Basco, who, funnily enough, is sister to Dante Basco, who played none other than Rufio in Hook. And, oh. <laughs> yeah, so there's definitely talent in the Basco family. So, And when it comes to Ella, you know, she's been in TV shows like Grey's Anatomy, Happy Land, Veep, and Teachers. So when it came to Cassie Kane, what did you make of Cassie? Yeah, I, I kind of love that with Harley, you know, she depended on Joker for so long, and that's kind of been the thing of their relationship, is that she feels like she needs him, and then you bring this little girl into her life, and they have this connection, and now it's kind of like somebody needs Harley, and I feel like Harley definitely sees that. It's like, hey, this little girl is kind of, like, depending on me, and, like, knows that kind of, like, dynamic, so I I love that throughout the film, and I feel like that's probably a big reason as to why Harley does kind of take her under her wing, Um, and she, like, sees that she's vulnerable in a way, and they're just so good. To, like, their chemistry is amazing. Uh, they're so funny together. And all the moments of them just, like, hanging out in Harley's apartment is so sweet. And, you know, Cassie just seems so sweet. And you can tell that she has some, like, she's she has some issues at home. And that automatically kind of makes you um, sympathize with her a bit. And then also her dynamic with um, Black Canary is so good, too. That little scene of them in, like, the stairwell of um, Canary giving her some money. Yeah, I, I thought she was so charming, and I loved her. Oh, well, you know, you and me both. Granted, Cassandra Kane is a very different character in the comics, as in the comics, she's actually the daughter of two of assassins, David Kane and Lady Shiva. And, you know, in unlike her parents, she would join the Bat family in the comics as one of the many Bat girls initially, and would then become orphan. That said, you know, I would somewhat equate this character, going back to the Deadpool films once again, to Russell <laughs> Collins' Fire Fist. Yeah. By, by Julian Dennison in Deadpool 2. Because you kind of get that relationship, kind of like Russell with Deadpool. Because Cassandra, I think, plays a similar role with Harley as she does help Harley to somewhat open up her heart again and realize that she doesn't necessarily have to do things on her own. And I think also they have a lot in common also because Harley, like Harley, Cassandra is probably not in the best space herself either. As it's clear, she comes from a broken home and has become a pickpocket and quite the masterful one at that. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, I have to hand it to her. One I think could very much blame the situation she finds herself in, which has caused her to do so, is you know, she has this broken home situation. And regardless of this, she seems to pretty much take things into her own stride. And by the end of the day, she's the one who plays the key role in ending Black Mask. So 
kudos to her for that. And uh, she seems to be one of the first people I think that Harley feels like you were saying she can actually trust. Part and also, you know, also with with Dinah Lance, we get something similar like that. And I very much like the relationship between the two. And at the end of the day, Harley literally takes her under her wing, which is very sweet. So let's get to one of the characters who end up becoming one of the members of the Birds of Prey, starting with one of Gotham's most well-known detectives in the comics and who would actually take on the mantle of the question. And she has worked somewhat with the Birds of Prey at times, but never actually been a member. We are talking about Rosie Perez as Renee Montoya, whom our listeners might know from Fearless. And she was actually a co-host on the ABC talk show, The View. So when it came to our cop or detective, if you will, Hannah, what did you make of Renee Montoya? Um, I think that she's definitely the least developed out of all of the birds of prey mm. and like maybe the least interesting, but I think casting Rosie Perez was a really um, smart choice because she is like so likable. So <laughs> if you have a good ch- casting choice and you know, you can't really like um, uh, develop the character as much as you would like to because of like a runtime or like anything like that, or just didn't, you can't find it in the story. Um, I think casting a likable actor is probably the best thing to do. Uh, so, yeah, I think that she is a great way to kind of have an in in these uh, crime scenes and uh, kind of get us through the story a little bit more, especially with um, Huntress. Uh, yeah, I think she played her part well, and I think that the character has her part in the movie, and it works. It doesn't, like, it's not boring or anything, but... You know, it's it, she's there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she's there. And uh, but I I don't know about you. I mean, I don't know. Are you a, a Quentin Tarantino fan at all? Uh, <laughs> okay, no, because I very much got a Pam Greer vibe from her. Kind of oh, like okay, seen in Jackie Brown a little bit. But also, you know, from way back when, I guess maybe I'm showing my age here a little bit, but from the film Coffee, which I absolutely loved. And I suppose that tough kind of take no nonsense de- detective, you know, from pretty much any old school cop show. And I really enjoyed that. And also, you know, you get the common thread running through this, of course, as even Harley herself illustrates that all the women in this film have been wronged by men or treated unfairly by them in some form or shape. And yeah. in, Renee's, in Renee's case, of course, it's that she's done all the legwork in these high profile cases, but has never received any credit for it and is constantly passed over for promotion in favor of her once partner, now boss. And she does very much seem to be one of the best, if not the best, on a force of very incompetent cops. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's once again the case of cops looking awful in a show. I mean, we've seen this multiple times and she like seems to be the best of the best. And like any good detective, of course, she pretty much goes against any possible protocol and gets the answers by going solo. And I love that she's incredibly ballsy and a very fiery and strong character. And I was actually surprised that she survived when she got knocked out of the window by Harley. Oh, I like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, I, when you kind of surprised, like Harley kicks her out the window and she's like, well, I'm back. I'm still alive. I'm okay. Yeah. It was also a little bit weird because Harley definitely acknowledged that she was drunk uh, during that part up there. And then she came back and then she was like, it seemed like she was sober. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, that's movie magic. But uh, other than that, <laughs> she, does, she does very much love her job, I think. And she's very much that pursuer of justice. But clearly she cannot find it in this very stifling and prejudiced environment. And it's somewhat 
reminded me also of Clarice Starling in Science of the Lambs. Mm, where you yeah. have, you know, this one woman who's kind of almost belittled and kind of she was ignored by the men. So I kind of got that vibe. Plus, I'm a huge fan of Clarice Starling, so maybe I'm showing my hand there a little bit, but always want to <laughs> always want to find some 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 science lands references in films. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> let's get to our next member of the Birds of Prey, who reminds us of it it, it being a man's world by singing the well-known James Brown song "Journey Smollett Bell" as Dinah Lance Black Canary, who has been in tons of things. I loved her in Lovecraft Country. Eve's Bayou, True Blood, and Friday Night Lights. So, Hannah, when it came to this character, were you um, had you already seen Journey Smollett in other things? And what did you think of Dinah Lance? Yeah, uh, I've been a fan of Journey for a long time, and I absolutely loved her so much here. She's definitely my favorite member of the Birds of Prey. I am, like, dying to see more of her in the DC movies, or even just an HBO Max show I would love. I just want to see more of this character. I think that she's so interesting. I think that she's so likable. And I just, I love Journey. So I, I need I need more of this character so bad. And <laughs> I think in the film, uh, she has chemistry, like so much chemistry with literally like everyone, every scene of her with like any of the Birds of Prey. Um, it's just, it's chef's kiss. Uh, I... <sighs> I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't but agree with you. And I actually, I was hoping that she'd win you know, a couple more awards for what she'd done in Lovecraft Country because she was fantastic in that. And, you know, this is a very interesting portrayal of Black Canary. I mean, have you seen any of like the CW shows, like the Arrowverse? Yes, have you watched I Arrow? have. You know, compared to, shall we say, that Dinah Lance or Laura La- La- Lance and stuff, did you prefer this version to to the ones we've seen in the CW when it came to, shall we say, numerous black canaries we've had so far? <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, I don't. I just think that I, I think I just prefer Journey uh, over any of the actresses that's portrayed her in the past, uh, and I do think it kind of lends itself to like the like how charming the writing is and just how charming Journey is herself. So. Yeah, I, I, I definitely do prefer this. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it is a very interesting portrayal of her. And fun fact, Journey Smollett actually became a fan of this character through playing Injustice 2. And oh. I know you're quite the gamer yourself. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, I, I knew you, I'm sure you would like that little, little bit of trivia there. And the initial vibe I got is somebody who wants to pretty much lay low and scrape a living by minding her own business mm-hmm. and holding on to her gig as the singer in Black Mask's Club. And she's not particularly interested at first seemingly in being a hero, and in fact initially refuses to help the GCPD when she's asked to become an informant. Also, we do see violence happens around her until, you know, she and she kind of lets it happen until she comes to the rescue of her, of a very drunk Harley Quinn. Yeah, you definitely see like the gears turning in the car of her being like, uh, should I help her? Should I not? And that kind of like uh, struggle in her head. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I think she is very much a conflicted character. Mm-hmm. You know, when she does end up becoming Black Mask's driver, I'm sure that she knows that her boss is bad news. And she probably hears and witnesses terrible things, but maybe she's torn between fear of retribution or really or she maybe thinks to herself, if I don't have this job, what can I do for a living? So it could be 
that she's torn with that because she I'm sure she realizes that Black Mask is not necessarily, you know, the, the world's best guy because she's seen him probably go off and do crazy things in his club, which we will get to. But it was an, it was a curious thing to, to, to see. And what I don't understand, Hannah, and maybe you can can help me out on this is. At the end of the movie or towards the end, she shows that she has her metahuman uh, meta powers and has the canary cry, but she only uses it once. And you think to yourself, she could have used it in other situations. I mean, were you kind of surprised about that review of her power and it kind of, you know, being used at one time and that was it? Um, I don't think. I wasn't surprised uh, that we, she only used it once. And I think the reason why she only used it once is to maybe make it feel more earned because we did talk about it earlier in the movie where, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, <laughs> uh, Renee. Uh, Renee is like, you had the same gift that your mother had uh, and she just kind of brushes it off. Um, and I think that, you know, leading up in the movie, she seems very kind of like, uh, held back and timid a little bit because of you know kind uh, the hold that Black Mask has over her and like you said she just kind of like minds her own business so I don't think that I think that maybe might have been like one of the first times that she's even done it uh, it mm. felt like she like had a purpose to do it you know right true yeah because I suppose she could have done it throughout the film and maybe it would have been maybe get gotten tiresome so maybe it's, I understand why. It was more powerful having it just the one time, I guess. You know? Yeah. I suppose we could go with that. And and I guess, and, and I suppose at the end of the day, we do see that when push comes to shove, she does show where her values and her heart lies. And we see that she is very much a good person at heart. So definitely a wonderful character. And, and Journey did a wonderful job when it came to this character. So let's get to our third and final member of our fearsome female team with none other than Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Helena Bertinelli, Huntress, whom we actually recently talked about in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So <laughs> when, when it comes to, to, to this character, Hannah, uh, you know, I heard you chuckling there. So are you a fan? of scott pilgrim i love scott pilgrim i love <laughs> edgar wright so. <laughs> so so what did you what did you make of seeing mary elizabeth winstead going from a character like the one in scott pilgrim to literally being this almost crazy almost psychotic huntress character <laughs> i love that they made her like kind of socially awkward uh <laughs> like wasn't <laughs> what i was expecting at all like after watching the trailers uh they definitely made her seem like very like badass and she is in the movie uh she's like in the trailers just seemed like she was just like, badass and like straight to the point uh but in the movie you'll see that when she gets around the other birds of prey she's very socially awkward and i think that made for a lot of good comedy and i think the whole joke leading up to uh, her uh, name feel is so good too uh, instead of the crossbow killer uh, <laughs> yeah I, I loved her I, I this is another character where I just want to see more of her I think that her uh, story and how they integrated it into the film was amazing I I love the reveal of also um, Zaz being one of the people there um, that uh, assassinated her family uh, and I like that in I we got to talk about one character uh, <laughs> that is uh, a good, like, a man portrayed in a good light. And that's the uh, guy who came and got her um, and brought her to his family. 
There's oh, one. Oh, true. There is some yeah. redemption. See, see I, I'm actually very proud that it wasn't Italian. I'm so happy to say, yay, there's a point, a, a win, a, a W in the in the column for the Italians. I was very happy about that. So thank you for mentioning that, Anna. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely loved her. Oh, yeah. Well, she was fantastic. And, you know, she is possibly almost, I guess, the Batman of the group, if you will, to me, at least. She seems to be the most morose and brooding and serious, at least for a good chunk of the movie. And she does seem to retain that kind of cynicism that the Huntress does have in the comics as well. And, it, and that, that seems to be the case no matter what iteration we get, because it seems like TV showrunners and movie makers tend to to keep this brooding thing but what i thought was interesting is they didn't give her a very a big thing about the huntress character is her christian faith which plays a big part in the character because part of the costume uh, like in the comics and stuff you see is she has a cross or a right around her throat just to kind of keep the whole faith in her life going kind of like daredevil who's very much right. in touch with his catholic faith so it, I think it was a shame that they didn't do that, but this movie is so crazy you probably couldn't do it. So yeah, um, but it, but it was a fun portrayal of making Helena almost a parody of DC's brooding characters. We never see her <laughs> crack a smile, and you know, as you said, she's very socially awkward, almost like I guess the Colossus of the of the group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it very much. Yeah, and also also maybe a little bit cable too, I suppose. So yeah. <laughs> spe <laughs> speaking of darkness, let's get to the dark side of the table. You actually touched up on him a little bit here. One, let's look at one of our two main villains, one of the henchmen to Black Mask, of course. We have Chris Messina as Victor Zaz, who has been in such things as Devil, Argo, the Giant Mechanical Man, and more. So when it came to this very psychotic and very disturbing gentleman. What did you make of Victor Zaz? I love Chris Messina so much. So <laughs> I found out he was going to be in this movie. I was so excited and he didn't disappoint in the movie. He is so, he definitely matches you and McGregor's crazy. Uh, yeah. I love that both of them, it, you can definitely tell that both of them just went for it. And I love that they're both on the same page of being like, hey, our performances are going to be like on 10. Uh, and I, I love that they keep it up throughout the whole film and the scenes that they have together. It's like, it's insane and even just there's this one part of the movie that always sticks out to me and i'm sure that it's a christmas cena uh choice it's when he walks away from um from black canary and after he tells her that she's gonna be the driver and he just like flaps his arms like wings <laughs> and i was yeah. like that's so like odd but so funny <laughs> i loved it so much um and he's and when he he's so scary when he needs to be scary like that entire encounter in the car with him and canary uh her driving and him being like i said like pull over the car just for him to be like i need to go to the bathroom i'm like whoa that's like insane uh, <laughs> i yeah he's amazing Oh, he is very much so. And I do think that thing where you were saying that scene where he kind of flaps his arms, I'm sure it was improv. I'm sure he just did it like <laughs> off the cuff. He's like, I'm going, I'm going totally off script and I'm going to do it. But, but yeah, I think, uh, like you said, Chris Messina is such a talented actor and uh, no matter what he does, he's just excellent. And I very much think that he really embraced this role. I mean, he just, like you said, he went to town with it, just like you and McGregor did. And there, there, there have been many portrayals of Zaz 
you know, throughout your know, movies, TV and such. And I also very much enjoyed what Anthony Carrigan had done with this character yeah. in Gotham. I sort of saw a similarity between the two, if you will, because maybe maybe Chris Messina did kind of take on what Anthony Carrigan <laughs> had done, because we know that that Zaz is also a little over the top. And uh, I, I the, the thing that kind of nailed it for me when it came to Anthony Carrigan was the um, the fact that he has Funky Town as his ringtone. That went, <laughs> that's See, with, with Anthony Carrigan, I feel like it kind of felt natural for an actor like Anthony Kerrigan if you watch Barry. Because uh, yes. his portrayal of Zaz is definitely very in line with knowing. Uh, but with Chris Messina, you never, you've never really seen him do something like this before. Uh, so I feel like that's why watching him do this was kind of so exciting. Well, yes, very true. Yeah, because he had he had done very sort of different things, but you know, prior to this, very true. And one I think could also make the very sad argument that he is the best friend Black Mask ever had, which is very sad for Black yeah. Mask. Um, <laughs> as he, you know, we see he blindly follows him, and he does everything he's asked to do, which also gives him an excuse, I suppose, to indulge in his psychopathic nature of murdering people. And he is also Eliza, as we were saying, very creepy and more in tune with what is going on compared to his own boss. I mean, uh, there are many cases where Black Mask seems very much in living in his own reality. While I think uh, Zaz is actually the one who really knows exactly what's going on, he knows the score. And I think it, it's curious that, you know, the underling knows more than the boss does. Yeah, and e even yep. in that scene, you can tell uh, that scene in uh, Black Mask's apartment where he walks in and he says something about the crossbow killer and uh, Black Mask is just talking to Canary about like something else, like uh, maybe his things in his apartment because <laughs> he wanted to all feel about that. And it takes him like a few times for him to like actually like register and hear him uh, about Harley and the crossbow killer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. He seems totally oblivious or it's just because he's such a narcissist that he doesn't care about anything else that's going on as long as it's about him he's happy so that's that's probably the deal but uh, but even that it's also evidence that he and black mask are very tight as well because yes. even when victor is pickpocketed by cassandra and you know he decides to somewhat should we say um not exactly spill the beans but kind of tell a little bit of a big white lie there but black mask you know he throws a tantrum but he doesn't kill him which i think shows that Roman Sionis would never probably kill Zaz because maybe he does see him as a friend as well in his own twisted way. And and, and you definitely can see that Zaz has um, Black Mask's ear and is allowed a lot of leeway with everything and anything he does. So, <laughs> so it's, it's a very... I, I would love to have seen these two as kids. Really, I would like to see yeah. what kind of stuff they've gotten on up to as kids. It's a, it's a curious one. <laughs> so let's get to our main villain, the aforementioned Ewan McGregor as Roman Sionis Black Mask. So I'm sure this is not the first time you've seen Ewan on screen, Hannah. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. so um, what did you? So first off, are, are you a, a fan of Ewan McGregor's? And what did you think of him being our villain in this film? Uh, yeah, big fan of Ewan McGregor and. When he was, I know when he was announced as the villain of the movie, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> like, I wouldn't have ever thought of that. Um, but watching the movie, I'm like, oh my god, he's insane. Um, I love that he went for this over-the-top performance. Uh, <laughs> I, it feels like 
the whole movie feels a little campy in a way, and I feel like Ewan definitely embraces like all of it <laughs> and just goes kind of full camp a lot of the time. But also, uh, him being the villain and all, he's so scary. That scene in the club of him telling that girl to take her dress off, I just it's like sends chills down my spine every time I watch it. Um, I think. And he's so funny, too. Uh, all the interactions with him and Harley. Uh, and then him, like, explaining all his things uh, to get Harry is so funny. Uh, that whole my things thing throughout the whole movie is it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I he's one of my favorite comic uh, villains. And I kind of wish they didn't kill him off in the end uh, so that he could return. But I, I do get it. And I do think the death is, like, super funny. And I do think it's, like, amazing uh, how over the top it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he's amazing. Oh, very much so. And I think it also kudos to Kathy Yan for directing this film and making, you know, kind of doing all these, going from a very nutty film to suddenly mm-hmm. going to that incredibly tense scene that you mentioned. And I, that's why I definitely say kudos to, to her because she's definitely show, she been, shows that she's a great director and this is only her second movie. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what Kathy Yan will do moving, going from on from here. You know, hopefully they'll give her more projects to do because she's evidently very, very, an excellent director already from a very promising one for sure. And well, when it came to you, McGregor, I mean, he and Zaz are very much suited for one another as <laughs> Roman is just as psychotic and psychopathic with a major dose of narcissism. And, I, I have to hand it to, to Ewan for playing Roman Sionis so well when it comes to his unpredictable mood swings. Because, you know, he's very yeah. much dark. You know, because he has this very much sort of dark soul when he forces, you know, as you were mentioning, one of the patrons at his club to dance and strip in that very tense and uncomfortable moment. And at the same time, he can be incredibly comical and almost just very eccentric. He kind of gives the idea of being the kind of, you know, this eccentric billionaire who mm-hmm. has these very odd fetishes. And, I did find it interesting that we never saw him wear the mask till movie's end. As in the comics, that the mask is pretty much the man's face, and he can't remove the mask. He pretty much is like, uh, if I remember correctly, the origin story is he actually fashioned the mask from his mother's coffin, and then so he, he wears it, and he basically never takes it off. Were you surprised at that choice that, that uh, we sure only saw black mask at the end of the film? Um, no, I think it makes sense because throughout the film, it seems like uh, Roman kind of like needs like validation in a lot of ways. Uh, it's like him even getting emotional when he finds out that Canary betrayed him. It's he needs that kind of like loyalty in his life and kind of is vulnerable in a way. And I think that when that happened, it kind of like made a switch turn for him to be like oh well i can't like fuck around anymore (laughs) and i think that him putting on that mask was kind of like symbolic of him uh kind of leaving that part of him behind a little bit uh because definitely when he showed up to that um the fun house place he was like straight to business no more like uh joking or anything like that uh so yeah i i think it made sense in context of the film yeah, it was it was definitely an, uh, an interesting directorial choice, and I do think that in his sick and twisted mind, he very much considers Victor his friend, along with Dinah. And I actually had uh, was wondering about your thoughts on this as well, because either he just really is trying to surround himself with people because maybe deep down he's very lonely, or 
is he secretly attracted to her and maybe hopes someday to make her Mrs. Sionis or at least his mistress? I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think it's he might be somewhat, should we say, lusting over her or is attracted to her? What, what, what do you think the deal is? No, I think that he's just very lonely because I think that him and Zaz definitely have something. Uh, I, I definitely, I, I kind of wish that the film was more uh, open about maybe if they were involved or not, uh, hmm. uh, Roman and Zaz, because you definitely get the vibes throughout <laughs> all of the film that they are. Uh, you know, then, yeah, the dysfunctional couple, very much. Yeah. So. <laughs> So I don't think that he uh, had a thing for Canary, but I do think that he is like actually very lonely and just wants company that he can trust and who actually care about him and aren't using him. Because, you know, he did come from uh, a rich family, so you could probably assume that people used him a lot in life. So he, he might be broken from that. True. So I suppose, you know, there could also be a message of sympathy for the devil, if you will, when it comes to this film as, yes, this man is horrible. Yes, he's a, you know, he does terrible things, but maybe deep down the man is very, very lonely. So maybe we've actually been able to, to you know, give some sympathy for one yeah. of the most unsympathetic characters in the film. <laughs> but uh, hey, I, I, I guess that maybe is, might have also been the writer's choice and possibly uh, what, what uh, Kathy Ann was trying to do with this. So any final thoughts on the, on the film before we get to ratings? Uh, I mean, it's just one of my favorite movies of all time, like I said before. I think that it's amazing, and I think that it has some of the best like action sequences in any comic book movie. I mean, the action is insane in this movie. Uh, even like Harley lighting like someone's beard on fire is <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> funny and such a small moment, but it's just one that I always remember. Uh, and they all feel so badass. Every action sequence. I think the action sequence uh, in the jail is fantastic. I like. I worked in a movie theater when this movie is out, and every time that I'd walk by a theater playing the movie, I'd hope that it was like almost to that scene so I could stop for a minute and watch it. Uh, I've <laughs> seen that scene so many times because I think it's just so good. Um, yeah, I I just love everything about this movie. <laughs> mm, well, and and so at this point, do you, do you think or do you hope that we will get a sequel? I mean, because uh, I mean, I've kind of kind of looked around for rumors and what have you, but it doesn't. I haven't see, heard anything aside from obviously the Suicide Squad film we will be getting from, directed by James Gunn. But um, do you think we might eventually get a sequel, or would you like th uh, there to be a sequel even? Uh, I would love a sequel, uh, but only if it was directed by Kathy Ann mm. and also written by Christina Hodgson. Uh, but I, we probably won't get one, which is sad because it didn't do great at the box office. And I think that a lot of people who are on Twitter who are like mad about this movie for being like female empowerment or whatever, it's like, oh, it's a flop. And I'm like, you guys always seem to forget that this movie came out during like the heat of coronavirus rising. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so not a lot of people were in movie theaters. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd love to see a sequel, but I don't think we're going to get one, sadly. <laughs> mm, I, I, I have a feeling that you're you're very much correct in that. And uh, it's a shame. I guess we'll have to see now what James Gunn gives us with this uh, new Suicide Squad film, which it seems very promising from the, the trailers. So I guess we'll see. And, and, you know, Hannah, I actually have to hand it to you for being the Wonder Woman, if you will, on Twitter, you know, kind of with your sword and your shield <laughs> fighting off these people. And, you know, you know, I, I, you'll, I have to say you're, you have very strong opinions on, on Twitter. And I very much appreciate that about you because you're like, Thank you know, you. yeah, you're like, come at me, you know, and this guy's kind of like, yeah. 
Then you tell them, girl. Yes, I, I love that. Um, so this is, I mean, going to be interesting. Let's get to ratings. What do you give this film out of 10? A 10. It's, I just, I, I don't have any issues with it. I never have, and I've watched it a million times, and I genuinely can't find anything that I'm like, oh, that bothers me. So... Okay, well, hey, hey, that's that's great. I'm actually going to be gi giving this an eight and a half out of ten. I really, really enjoyed it. There were some parts maybe here and there that did seem a little bit odd, for, but, but other than that, I, I really, really dug it. So yeah, it's an eight and a half out of ten for me, and I definitely suggest you know folks check it out because it's definitely worth your time. So let's get to reading recommendations. Hannah, did you have any comic book recommendations? You know, coming off Birds of Prey, that you think folks should check out? Um. I've, I don't really read a lot of comic books, but I did start reading The Long Halloween recently mm -hmm. uh, because my dad reads comic books and he's been on me about it for years. To oh, read well, it. your dad is now my hero. So <laughs> he's raising his daughter, right? Good thing. Yes, because I'm super excited for the Batman because uh, I'm a huge Robert Pattinson fan. Uh, but And also, I just I do like Batman. Uh, so he was like, you got to read The Long Halloween. So I'm halfway through that right now and I'm loving it. Uh, it's It's amazing. So... <laughs> well, as I said, he's he's a dad after my own heart, so definitely more, more, power, more power to him. Uh, I would like to suggest that, well, in tune with this movie, Gotham Central, issues 6 to 10, uh, written by Greg Rucker, where basically we get to Rene Montoya being the object of Two-Face's affections in this story. And basically what happens is, you know, there's a whole lot of shenanigans between her and Two-Face, and of course Batman shows up, and it's a very brutal, but a very brilliant comic book so definitely check that out and also of course harley quinn and the birds of prey issues one to four by jimmy pagnotti and amanda connor here actually we have uh, harley quinn who's avoided gotham city ever since she broke up with the joke and has found a home in coney island of all places but she gets an offer she can't refuse so she chooses to slip back into the city and obviously the joker finds out and he decides to set on her every single supervillain you can imagine. So what does Harley do? To come to her defense are, of course, Black Canary, Huntress, Renee Montoya, and Cassandra Cain, the Birds of Prey. So definitely check that out. That's Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, issues one through four. So, dear listeners, if you want to be like the amazing Hannah and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out to those also at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com feel free to show your support by giving us a like on facebook where you'll find us as happiness in darkness you can follow us on twitter we're at high darkness pod or on the instagram under hin darkness also if you'd like to support the podcast and being generous you can check out the great tiers we have going on on patreon there you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what, what are considered regular superhero movies or even just films inspired by comics like 300 or road to perdition or i kill giants or films which inspired comics such as aliens robocop terminator and more to check all that out you can head over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness and when it comes to you hannah i know you're quite a woman about the interwebs so when it comes to you where can our find listeners find you and tell us a little bit about what you do uh, you can find me at Rejected Hannah on Twitter, and then also I am on the Cinemania World podcast uh, every week, and I also do have my own podcast with my friend Kenzie uh, called The Robert Podcasts, and, uh, <laughs> and we just talk about Robert Pattinson and everything that he's been in, and then on Cinemania World, we talk about uh, 
movies, uh, news, everything that you can think of. So, yeah. And those are available on all streaming platforms. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, folks, definitely be sure to check out Hannah and the wonderful things that she does. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I also host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more about that and where to tune in, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, feel free to also check out my other podcast, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with co-hosts Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend, we're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. If you'd like to join us on there and discuss your favorite Best Picture winner, you can email us at goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And recently I did team up with my good friend Charles Skaggs on the Fandom Zone, where we're going through that Marvel goodness that is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And speaking of things to come on this show, next week we'll be joined by Jamie Burns to discuss the 94 Russell Mulcahy film, The Shadow. That said, when it comes to you, Hannah, I look forward to very much having you back here on Happiness and Darkness. You have an open invitation, and I certainly thank you very, very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to come back, too. <laughs> oh, well, I, as I said, you're definitely welcome back anytime. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Jamie and The Shadow. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. <laughs> Good day.